This week, we bid farewell to the most perplexing hire of the Brent Venables head coaching era. On Thursday, Venables announced that Oklahoma had mutually parted ways with defensive coordinator Ted Roof. Venables said he offered Roof an opportunity to stay on the staff in a different role, but Roof declined because he has a desire to keep coaching. This is good news for everybody involved. It's good for Oklahoma. It's good for the fans. And I think it's even good for Ted Roof. It's good for OU simply because Ted Roof's presence as the Sooners DC was always going to limit OU's ceiling on defense. And after two seasons on staff, Brent Venables had to have recognized that. Roof's liked by everybody close to the program, players, coaches, the media, but his resume, his long, long resume as a football coach is that of mostly mediocrity. When Roof was hired at Oklahoma, I went back and took a look at all of his defenses statistically. In his 17 years as a solo defensive coordinator prior to Oklahoma, Roof produced about three to four pretty good defenses, three to four awful defenses, and the remaining nine to ten years, his defensive units were at best average and at worst mediocre. In two seasons as OU's defensive coordinator with Brent Venables as the head coach, the Sooners' defense statistically had one awful season, that was last year, and one, let's give them an average season, which was this year. Yes, 2023 was an improvement over 2022, so it's fair to expect another jump in 2024, especially with so many returning starters. But that's all the more reason to go in a different direction, a direction that can hopefully maximize that jump in 2024. And Brent Venables has reportedly settled on super young Jacksonville State defensive coordinator Zach Alley to take Roof's spot. We'll talk about Alley later in the show. Obviously, Roof departing Oklahoma is good for the fans. Everybody didn't really understand the hire to begin with. And for Ted Roof, this is a good thing for him because he's not going to be in the crosshairs in the middle of October if Oklahoma's defense struggles to slow down SEC teams. In that situation, if Roof was still around, Venables would have been forced to fire Roof in the middle of the season. I'm sure Venables never wanted to do something like that. And now Roof can use his large book of references to find a new job somewhere else without as much pressure as Norman, Oklahoma, entering year one of the SEC. This move by Brent Venables is just further evidence that Oklahoma's head coach is very aware of the moment. His team needs to be firing on all cylinders throughout the 2024 season. The defense needs to be much better than it was in 2023. And moving on from Ted Roof is Brent Venables' way of telling us he understands what time it is. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Welcome back to the show. Happy New Year. I truly hope 2024 is terrific for all of you. There's going to be a lot of buildup for the football season, which could lead to a lot of fun and enjoyment and or copious amounts of dread and humbling experiences as the Sooners make their SEC debut later this fall. This is why sports are so great. We literally have no idea what is going to happen when Oklahoma plays its first season in the SEC coming here in 2024. With that, let's say hello to Grant for the first time in the new year. Grant, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. It's been a good weekend so far. I was really happy that we got to uh, have a New Year's Day full of, honestly, some pretty amazing college football games. Uh, as the Rose Bowl was honestly a very ugly and not well-played game at all, but it was still it was still fun to watch, still good, good atmosphere, uh, really dramatic there at the end, but... Oh, man, we're going to get into it, but 
we were talking about it before, but parody is here. I think it's really, really here. Yeah, we'll tease ahead. We'll got a bunch of OU stuff to talk about, and then towards the end of the show, we'll talk about the bowl season for all of you that listen and care to hear what we have to say about all that fun stuff. And yeah, we were talking before the show about how with NIL, the transfer portal, all this stuff, I know a lot of people don't like it, but a big reason why I was a fan of it, and this is kind of a tease ahead, uh, is that I was hoping that this would kind of lead to a little bit more parity around college football, and we wouldn't just get dominant Alabama or dominant Georgia winning everything and it's slowly but surely I think we're starting to kind of get there and I think uh, all of the new college football ins and outs are a reason for that so we'll talk about that a little bit but first I gave my opening take about Ted Roof being uh, basically Brent Venable saying thanks but no thanks well not really because I guess he did offer him another position I'm guessing uh, just based on context clues he probably offered Roof an analyst position just Uh, similar to what Roof was at Clemson before coming over to OU. Grant, your thoughts on Oklahoma moving off of Ted Roof, because I know, I think maybe a couple episodes ago, or you may have had a a, a prediction that this could happen. Yeah, I mean, it just, you know, in my mind, it just, it makes total sense. I think this is a good thing. Uh, You can go back and listen to our shows from a couple years ago after he's, nobody understood this hire. I think it left everybody's head scratching or everybody left, you know, scratching their heads with it. But kind of the cope with it was always, oh, you know, Brent Venables is going to be the DC anyway. And I always found that to be kind of weak sauce. Like, oh, I, I found that to be total rationalization and cope. And because that takes away from other things that Brent Venables is going to have to do. And I think we've seen that pop up over the last couple of years where that clearly has been um, like a push and pull that has caused some problems in the program. And so I do appreciate you bringing up, you know, Ted Roof's coaching history in your opening take because that was the big thing. I mean, you could you could talk yourself into, oh, maybe this is the right hire at the right time and maybe everything will turn around for Ted Roof. But he's he's had an entire coaching career of mediocrity and he has not really he's fielded, I think, like one decent defense as a defensive coordinator his entire career and is at Georgia Tech. Even like even the defense that he won a national title with was like not very good. They bled tons of yards. Um so it was always just kind of a, ah, oh man, like one of those things where it's just like, if Ted Roof is associated with your defense, a lot of the time there's probably going to be some glitches. And I was always a fan of this idea of trying to go get kind of a young, like up-and-comer type defensive coordinator to pair with Brent Venables so they can kind of bounce ideas off of each other. And it seems like that's exactly what is going on here with Zach Alley being the reported hire. Uh, it's not official yet, but... So many people reporting it now that it's it must just be a contract thing at this point in time, getting it all ironed out. And so um, I don't know much about Zach Alley other than what everyone else has read as well. Uh, he's a name that I've known for you know over a year now because a lot of people have been kind of connecting his name to Brent Venables. He came up, Brent Venables was a mentor of his. And so I've, I've watched like videos of him coaching and everything, and he does look kind of like a young Brent Venables and how he carries himself and how he speaks to the players. And so I, I think that's a really good thing for the program. You can uh, hand, hand stuff off to a younger guy who is going to have energy, probably energy on the recruiting trail as well. He's probably going to be able to connect with the guys a little bit more too. Um, and hopefully this gives Brent Venables an opportunity to take some stuff off of his plate so he can be more of like a CEO type head coach, which in this day and age I think is much more necessary. And he can always lend his expertise to the defense. Like there's, you know, there's nothing preventing him from doing that as well. So. Overall, I think this is a really, really positive step forward for the program. 
Uh, Ted Roof, who is a, an extraordinarily well liked person by all you know by all reports, um, historically just not a great college football coach, and I don't think OU can afford to just kind of have a whatever guy on their coaching staff. Yeah, after the two year experiment, it would seem to be, and we could have probably came to this conclusion immediately after the hire, and maybe we did. I, I went back and listened to our show after he was hired and I didn't listen to the whole thing, but some of the roof stuff. And uh, that's kind of how I remembered a lot of the previous history of roof his coaching career. And, you know, we were obviously kind of like, okay, I mean, let's see what happens here. It would appear though, in hindsight, that this was Brent Venable's first time as a head coach. He wanted a comfortable hire, a guy who had had some head coaching experience before. He knew him from Clemson. Maybe um, maybe he knew Ted Roof even before that. Who knows? I mean, Roof had been in a lot of places, so it wouldn't be surprising if if Roof and Venables had crossed paths at some point. And so it was a situation where it, I would bet that he knew that Roof would come in. He wasn't going to rock the boat. He was going to do whatever Brent Venables wanted him to do, run his defense, and he Venables could lean on him for head coaching, I guess, advice. Even though, again, Ted Roof, even as like especially as a head coach, not great. He was at, I believe, Duke for a while, and maybe even Georgia Tech or I, multiple play, and he just did not did not win. I mean, he was not a very good head coach. Granted, there are some places where it's tough to win, anyways. And now, after two years, you you think that okay, Venables realizing the moment, we got to do something different here. This is certainly limiting our ceiling as a defense here, and obviously you got Zach Alley who. Super young, obviously Venables knows about him, has, has probably thought about him a bit, and is, is like, okay, now's the time. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure he sees him, all the reports, all the things I've read as well. It's like, basically, you're getting Brent Venables, but 25 years younger <laughs> or so. So almost like Brent Venables coming in the first time at OU. Uh, and the thought, great. Uh, at the same time, though, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. We'll get, we'll get into it. Uh, yeah, we can transition into talking about Zach Alley. Because, yeah, it's not official yet, but plenty of reports. You just kind of imagine at some point it will be officially announced. And I know that you always kind of wanted that young up-and-comer guy. And a, a big reason why I didn't think he would really want to hire any sort of name coach or a young guy was kind of the what I brought up a moment ago is I don't think he wanted some guy coming in, maybe pushing back on some of his ideas, maybe going rogue, wanting to change things, which could then lead to maybe some bad blood, bad culture inside the locker room. And so that's why I never expected. I know a name that you like to throw out there was Jim Leonard. And Jim Leonard is, I believe, an analyst at Illinois. And who, who knows? I'm sure he, I wouldn't be surprised if he got a job this this upcoming cycle. There's plenty of places that need a defensive coordinator. I know Missouri needs one now. So that's kind of why I never thought a guy like Jim Leonard would come in here. And now it looks like he's kind of, to me, he's kind of split the baby on it where he's bringing in a young, possible up and coming coach, but it's a coach that Venables is familiar with. He knows Zach Alley has the utmost respect for Venables and he knows Alley's not going to have any thoughts on upsetting the apple cart. Now, hopefully Venables is open-minded enough though, when it comes to new ideas to improve on this Brent Venables scheme, because it's a scheme that I'm afraid may be out of date with 2024 college football. And my biggest piece of evidence for that is how bad Oklahoma is against the pass, how easy it is to throw the ball on Oklahoma. Now, here's the problem, though. I'll throw this out there before I let you respond. 
Zach Alley's defenses so far have also been easy to throw on. And it makes sense because I'm sure Alley's defense has a lot of the same principles as Brent Venables' defense. So that's kind of the, the one thing that makes me think hopefully they can figure this out because Venables' past defense has been bad with Oklahoma and at times is bad at Clemson. And so far, Zach Alley's defense, very small resume so far, but even in a year when Jacksonville State's defense was very good, the past defense was not good at Jacksonville State. Yeah, and I think um, you would hope that's not something that's inherent to the Brent Venable scheme. It might be, though. Um, you know, at Clemson, I mean, they, they had a good pass defense at Clemson, but one of the knocks on Cle- I mean, I, I use knocks in air quotes because when they were really rolling there, I mean, it was just them and Alabama. Those are the only, nobody could touch each other except those two teams for five or six years. And, um, but they, I mean, they had, they had NFL dudes everywhere in the secondary at corner and the end. But the thing was always that they gave up explosive passing plays. They just weren't, yep. they just didn't have, you know, there just wasn't success very often in the, in, you know, in the passing game. But when there was, it was usually explosive. And that was always kind of the knock on him when he was at OU as well. And hey, I can live with that. I, I can live with that. But you also, but you got to get good enough to where you can make the other plays in between there so that like those explosive passing plays are literally the only thing you're giving up in the entire game. Yeah. And it's only like three or four instances. Agree. Agree. So, uh, yeah, and that, that, that was a knock definitely at Clemson. Like when the defenses were, you know, they were never bad really, but yeah, they, they would be susceptible to big plays. And we talked about that when Venables was hired. You can go back, and listen to our shows. I'm sure plenty of people talked about it. Uh, it's definitely in the data. Uh, more on Jacksonville state, by the way, because that's where Ali the last couple of years he's been, and 94th in college football this year, Jacksonville State's pass defense allowing 7.3 yards per attempt. Uh, but again, overall, Jacksonville State's defense was pretty good, allowed less than five yards per play. Uh, it was a top 50 defense this year, uh, really good against the run, under three yards per carry, and a lot of takeaways. So a couple of things that are also emblematic of Venables' defense. The OU's been pretty good, was good against the run this year, and took the ball away a lot. Uh, Jacksonville State, 25 takeaways, by the way. So Ali also, he's a linebacker guy. He's a linebacker coach. So, I mean, this is based, this is like a direct replacement of Ted Roof coming in, D.C., linebacker coach. And a possible added bonus to this, I don't know how much this will factor in, but possible added bonus. Uh, a few years back, he was the co-special teams coordinator for a season at Boise State. And footballscoop.com even named him one of the top special teams coordinators in 2020, the fake 2020 season, my favorite season. So I don't know, who knows, maybe Ali will come in and, I don't even know if Venables will ask for this, but maybe we'll have some ideas to come in and, and help out, you know, returning punts or special team stuff. I don't know. Uh, but we're still kind of waiting to see when it's going to be official. So uh, that's kind of all my thoughts I have on Zach Alley right now. Uh, so what else do you think about him? Like what, what else is uh, standing out to you about him? I mean, that, that's essentially it. We're going to – I think it is. it definitely bears mentioning that Jacksonville State this year was in their first season as, a, as an FBS program as well, and they were able to de- a, a debut a – you know, a, a really solid G5 defense. Not, I mean, more than solid. One of the best G5 defenses in the country, for yeah. sure. Um, and so you like that. The, a team that, that had a, uh, a very, very good defensive success rate did not give up a lot of successful plays. But, you know, very much like a Brent Venables defense, whenever they did give up a, a successful play, it was usually really successful. Um, and so I, I think it's just a good thing all the way around. Inject kind of some new blood into the, into the program. I like being young there. I want new ideas. And I, hey, I think Brent Venables is open to new ideas. He's a guy who has 
never shied away from innovating his scheme. And so I, I think he really likes that stuff. Um, and I just like the idea of young, fiery, smart people in the same room together throwing ideas against the wall to see what's going on. And, you know, we, you can say a lot of things about Brent Venables, and he's in his 50s and everything, but, I mean, he carries himself like a young, fiery dude. He's got a ton of energy. Oh, and yeah. I just think it's a, it's, I think it's a good thing um, that his right-hand man now running the defense is, is going to be kind of in the same mold. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have any. I'm, I'm kind of right there with the fan base on this one. This is just, this is a good thing. I'm glad that they went this far. I, you know, put a gun to my head. I still would have preferred someone like Jim Leonard, even though if there's not like a, a, a perfect like scheme over. I'm, I'm, with Jim Leonard, my idea is more of like he's just such a great defensive coordinator. He'll, he'll figure it out. He's that good of a defensive coordinator where you just want that, that brain in your room, and he'll figure out the scheme. Jim Leonard, regardless of what scheme he runs, is going to be terrific. That's why I kind of wanted him. But like, that's probably just you know some, that's some like silly college football fan wish list message board stuff, and that was probably never realistic. And how much of Venables when he thinks to hire people and – Allie's very young. I think he's 29 or 30, somewhere in there. Obviously, everyone wants this to work out, wants him to be a very good defensive coordinator. Is this a situation where he thinks Allie might be a guy that if it works out, that he'll stay a while and he'll have continuity similar? And it's easy to just use Bob Stoops and Dabo Sweeney. I mean, Bob Stoops was the head coach and Venables and Mike Stoops were there for a long time. I mean, there's a lot of continuity there. So I'm sure. And that's what we know. Venables is all about that. I mean, he's, he's a guy that's very loyal. He was at OU for a long time. He was at Clemson for a long time. And literally the only reason he left Clemson is because of the OU situation. Uh, the only other school that could have maybe had that for him would have been probably his alma mater, Kansas State, if there was some sort of weird thing there that was involved. So I, I don't know about – but the fact that Ali, yeah, he's just, he seems like – the easy thing way to put it, it seems like a very – like a, a spitting image of Brent Venables, and it's a good thing. And what does it kind of say – like? Maybe nothing at all, but yeah, you mentioned how Jacksonville State was in its first year of FBS. Allie's first year at Jacksonville State was in 2022. They were still in FCS, and statistically, the defense this year was better than their their 2022 defense, and they jumped up to FBS. They allowed uh, you know 4.8 yards per play this past year. They allowed 5.4 in 2022. Uh, the pass defense was about the same, <laughs> so at least it's consistent, I guess. Uh, the rush defense was much better this past year. They gave up over four yards per carry in 2022, only you know under three, 2.7. Takeaways, pretty similar. 22 takeaways in 2022, 25 and 20. So, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, fewer yards per game allowed in 20. So, it's kind of interesting that they jumped up to FBS and statistically were better. Who knows? I mean, maybe they had a lot of continuity there. Heck, maybe the, the competition was a little bit better at FCS in some instances. Who knows? A lot of good teams in FCS depending on who you play. So, yeah, and I think um you, you know, you bring it up, you know, him being young and maybe that can establish some continuity moving forward. Yeah, I think the like the pipe dream of all of this is that you like Zach Alley is a huge success and he's a great DC and you get him for 4, 5, 6 years and he gets a head coaching job when he's 36 or something like that, you know? Yeah. And you add him to this coaching staff that has super energetic Miguel Chavis. They'll go really well. Uh Jay Valai is pretty energetic. Todd Bates, super positive, happy. I, I wouldn't describe him from my experience. With, like, I wouldn't describe him as super, super energetic, uh, but super positive guy. I mean, very likable. Brandon Hall, kind of more measured safeties coach. Kind of interesting. You know, Ted Roof was just kind of like a 
kind of similar maybe to Bates, maybe not. Just very low-key, relaxed, positive. Everyone liked them. I wouldn't prescribe him as super energetic, so I don't know. I'm just kind of just throwing out like the, the style of coach, like you mentioned, is, is definitely a lot more along the lines of Venables and Chavis and, and those types of guys. And I think you can really um, you can really talk yourself into Oklahoma's defensive coaching staff is really good. And you just go down the line. And they got a really good staff there. Um, number one priority, though, as soon as Zach Alley gets there, and they got fixed pass defense. Um, I've said it, and I know this is kind of out of fashion. That is the number one question going into la- going into next season. You got to fix the pass defense. That was the biggest problem on the team this season, and it, and there's no reason to believe it's going to get materially better. I, they just they have to take a step. They got to get better. Well, that's a good transition to our next topic which is Woody Washington announcing that he is returning. So we were kind of uh, you know, talking about him the last few weeks. He finally d- makes, up his deci- uh, makes up his mind. He's coming back. And so Woody – so here's, here's the corners. So I figured, okay, let's talk about the corners. And uh, Woody Washington, Gentry Williams, two guys, two starters this year. Okay, they're back. Then you got Vickers. You got Josiah Wagner, Jacoby Johnson, Kanai Walker. You got the incoming transfer of Des Malone. And also now an incoming transfer, preferred walk-on, and Jocelyn Malaska from Utah. Those are the main players, and I, I, who knows, I might be missing one or two there, but those are the main guys that I would assume would be in the mix. And Granted, who knows if some incoming true freshman will stand out, but out of those guys, that's, those are kind of the names to kind of watch out. And with Woody coming back, I think this is, to me, obviously a good thing. He's steady, he's solid, he's a leader. And we'll see if anybody can beat him and Ginger Williams out for the starting jobs in 2024. Like, I want to see Jacoby Johnson take a jump. Des Malone, want to see him play. I love his size, his, his experience, experience. I think you know, both, the, both those players, Jacoby Johnson, Des Malone, I, I love their size. They're both over six, you know, six foot, six two, six three. I like the big corners out there. And I think Jacoby Johnson could have some playmaking ability just based on what I saw at Mustang High School when he was a, a corner and a receiver. Vickers and Wagner. Not really sure what to make of them right now. Kind of in the same boat as Kanai Walker to me. Would be great you know, if Kanai is someone. Of all the freshmen before people started to get banged up, I mean, Vickers was the one who was getting the most playing time of the three freshmen. Yes. True, true. And yeah, I suppose like if, if they were banged, you know, he was banged up and he was hurt. You know, I just, I, not, I didn't see enough to really think one way or the other about them. And then, of course, Kanai Walker played a decent amount. Uh, it'd be great if Kanai Walker somebody. Sorry, can I? It'd be great if you're some, he's somebody that gets his playing time limited because Oklahoma has better guys in that room now. So we'll but also, see. Yeah, they got to stay healthy, too. They got to say, you know, him being out there a lot this year was a direct correlation of Gentry Williams not being able to stay healthy, Makari Vickers getting banged up. And so, I mean, we know, like, can is not great, but can Walker is serviceable? He's fine. Like, if you, yeah. if, if you throw him out there, it's not like, it's not like late stage Jordan Thomas, right? Oh, gosh. True, true. And, you know, who knows? And how often did we talk about, I know, coming in to the team, Kendall Dolby, he's a corner. He's a Juco corner, and that was his top position. And obviously he made his hay at nickel. Who knows? What, what if there's a situation where they figure out a better situation for Cheetah and Dolby is actually still pretty good at corner, and Kendall Dolby could be a corner and, and shore up one of those spots and even add more depth to that. I mean, that would all, you know, determined based on if they can get a different cheater they want to go a different direction i think you got to just mention that as well because because dolby was a natural corner coming into ou's roster yeah and i think um man going into the spring 
you just kind of laid it all out right there. The the secondary, especially the corners, is going to be really, really interesting because they do have a lot of bodies there. They got a ton of bodies there. It, it does feel like there's almost no way that I mean they're going to have somebody portal out. You would think at the end of the spring, there's just so much. I mean, it would be I think it'd be great if they could keep them all there, um, especially just like anybody from that that 2023 class um, or the 2022 class, 2023 class guys who are kind of coming of age, they can keep them all in like, and they can kind of grow. That's a lot of competition. That's a lot of depth. I think a lot of people could have a lot of growth there, but the corners, especially, you know, and the entire secondary going into the spring is something I'm going to be watching really, really closely. Probably the number one position group I'm going to be watching. And I don't like, I don't want to short drift the offensive line because it, it is fair to question it, especially with the roster churn. We'll be watching them as well, but Offensive line was was probably the second best unit on the team this this season behind the wide receivers, and like we said, the offensive line has a history of just outstanding success at this program, even when it seems like maybe they're not going to be that good. And the secondary at Oklahoma, frankly, has been bad for over a decade now. That's just a much bigger question mark. Very sad. Very sad. That's the case in an era of passing and. Teams throwing it around. The secondary for Oklahoma has been just an absolute train wreck for the most part. Because I think we all agree that OU has some good individual players in the secondary. Of course they do. So then why is the pass defense still bad? Got to fix it. Indeed. And by the way, we, I think I brought up Day McCullough a show or two ago, and he's, he's out. He's, he's in the portal, so he's one of the guys. I think, was he a corner or is he a safety? I can't even remember. I think he was a safety. He's a safety. So. And so, and that, and that's that's a position group next season where health withstanding. You hope pretty much it's just you know Bowman, Bowen, and Robert Spears Jennings. Those are your three dudes, and you hope to see them on the field at the same time a lot. And also, man, we don't know about Justin Harrington. Also, it, it does seem like he's he's gonna get that seventh year or sixth year of eligibility. And so, man, if like, and, and it was pretty clear that he was gonna be a big part of the defense. So what happens if he comes back healthy? I'm not counting on that at all. But what happens if he does? It's it's interesting. I mean, there's there's a lot of there, there's there's definitely some puzzle pieces to put together there. Let's stick with the defense. Uh, another transfer in that I find this to be really interesting and potentially some really good news, but also comes with a caveat. And Miami of Ohio defensive end Caden Woolard transfers in and. Uh, two-year starter at Miami is going to be a senior coming into Oklahoma. Big dude, 6'5", 250. Had nine and a half sacks this past season from Miami of Ohio. Tied for the most in the MAC. 12 TFLs. By the way, I know you can't use bowl season to determine who's the best conference is because it's just so different. But I thought the MAC, the MAC did pretty well at bowl season, man. I mean, they played a ton of bowl games, and there were some, some, uh, some good games. MAC had some good teams. Granted, Miami lost their bowl game, but it was, it was close. Uh, so... It's a situation where Ward comes in. I love this pickup from the portal. Uh, Miami of Ohio is coming off its best season in 20 years, and this guy's a big reason for that. Again, nine and a half sacks, most in the MAC. As a team, Miami's defense was good this past year, held teams under five yards per play, was good against the run, was good against the pass, top 30 pass defense, top 40 run defense. So he comes from a, a program that the last couple of years, especially this past year, with a good defense. So he's one of the best players on one of the best MAC defenses this past season, two-year starter comes to Oklahoma to join a defense that's on the way up, trying to get better, and he fills a position of need for the Sooners. And so, all that's great, but here is where my enthusiasm dips. What the heck happened with Rondell Bothroyd 
in 2023. <laughs> we were all excited about him coming in, coming in from Wake Forest, veteran player, a lot of, lot of games under his belt, some really good production for a couple of seasons at Wake Forest. He had six sacks in 2022, which, by the way, was more than anybody had at Oklahoma in 2022. He had seven sacks in 2021 at Wake Forest, which was the same amount of sacks that Nick Benito and Isaiah Thomas had in 2021 for Oklahoma. And this past year, in 2023, Bothroyd comes into Oklahoma, year two of Venables' defense, where we think, and there was an improvement, obviously. The defense was better. But Bothroyd has, has, he had his worst year, his worst statistical season of his career. 25 tackles, career low. Three and a half tackles for loss, career low. And the kicker didn't get a sack. I, I didn't realize I he thought, had no I sacks. Thought that was really, that I thought that was really unlucky that he didn't get, that he didn't get sacks. I was really unlucky. I, like, I, I thought Bothroyd was really good this year. He, he, he did what he was supposed to do. He was great against the run. He's great against the run. Um, and I, do you remember, I mean, there was, there was, he had like, I feel like he had three or four sacks this year wiped out by penalty. He had like two in the Cincinnati game and we were there live, wiped out by defensive penalty. He didn't play, he didn't play poorly. It's just, he had one in the six like sacks, there was, seven, 13 sacks last year. I mean, sure. Yeah. Maybe he should have one or two, but still, I mean, that's a full year. He played like every game and that's the thing is he, it's super interesting. Like he played a ton. And maybe he just got a lot of attention on that side, right? Maybe, like, maybe if you went back and watched, maybe he was doubled, maybe. But if that's the case, why did Ethan Downs only get four and a half sacks on the other side? I don't side? know. Like, there was, there was clearly just a thing. The defense couldn't sack the quarterback this year. I, I don't know what it was. There was, there was basically like a four-game stretch in the, in the back half of the season where the, like the pressure was non-existent. But, you know, in the first half of the season, there was pressure. They just weren't really getting home consistently. It was an odd, odd year with that. But then we saw, you know, because remember in the Texas, I mean, they sacked Ewers five times, and it seemed like Ewers was under duress the entire game. OU was getting organic pressure, was doing well, and then that disappeared for the entire second half of the year. But then it was totally back against Arizona, where they were getting organic pressure again, and they weren't always getting home. They got home more often. But I like I thought I thought Bothroyd won essentially all of his matchups against Arizona in the bowl game. They they really struggled to block him. Uh, I I thought Bothard was a good player. Yeah, you, you would have you'd have hoped to have more production, but that just kind of seemed to be the the theme of the uh, of the defensive line this year, and so that's got to change. And that's why I mean, Caden Woolard is definitely an interesting. It, it's it's a really interesting pickup. He's when I watch him, like the thing that stands out the most to me, he's very long. He's got extremely long arms, uh, which which I like. But you know, I think this is kind of like a this is sort of just sort of a uh, you know low risk high reward thing. I. Honestly, don't really expect him to be much of anything here, but um, it'd be cool if he was. Yeah, we'll see. I, it, it's more than likely that he's probably not going to be anything, and I don't know if anybody else will be anything because here's here's the issue. There, there's a there's a troubling trend of late. You mentioned Oklahoma kind of had a, a, a quarterback sacking problem, a sacking quarterback problem. This isn't new. Four out of the last five seasons for Brent Venables, his defenses, defensive ends have not had a whole lot of success sacking the quarterback. Prior to 2019, oh, I'll start with this. So you start with 2020, 2021, a couple of years with Clemson, then the last two years at Oklahoma. Or no, there's been five years in there. Yeah, so defensive ends, the last, here's the last five seasons starting in, you know, in, in reverse. 
this past year, four and a half sacks for a defensive end. That was Ethan Downs. Four and a half sacks for a defensive end. That was Downs and Reggie Grimes. Eight sacks his last year at Clemson. And then previous two years in that, four sacks by defensive end, four and a half sacks. So defensive ends have not been getting to the quarterback for the last five years. And so I went back and before the 2019 season, defensive ends caused a ton of havoc for Brent Venables and Clemson's defense. But guess who those defensive ends were? Yeah, NFL All-Pros. They had a bunch of first-round draft picks. Yeah. Uh, Cleveland Farrell, Shaq Lawson, Vic Beasley, even a a few guys that were second and fourth-round picks as well. In 2020, 2021, Miles Murphy. In 2020, he only had four sacks. 2021, he had eight sacks. Guy was a first-round pick. By the way, in in Vindables' first year at Oklahoma, after he left Clemson, Murphy went up to six-and-a-half sacks. So not terrible when Venables was gone. So like, you look at Oklahoma and you, you wonder, is this simply just a talent issue? Is Ethan Downs going to get drafted? Yeah, probably. I think so. I mean, uh, I have no idea what kind of round he'll be drafted in. He's coming back for a senior season. I don't know if that's more of him just being a big OU guy and he was always going to come back or. Oh, I think he's a, no, he was always, I mean, he's, he's going to be a late round pick when he gets drafted, but that's, that's good. I mean, getting drafted is good. Yes. But the thing is, Downs, he's led Oklahoma in sacks the last two years with only four and a half sacks both times. And again, I mentioned Reggie Grimes had four and a half in 2022, but a lot of that came in the first first few games of the season, and he kind of disappeared. Couldn't get on the field this year, and now he's in the portal. So Miguel Chavis, Todd Bates, those guys, I don't know what's going on, but they got to develop some talent here because I think this is a troubling trend for Brent Venables and his defenses of late defensive ends are not causing a lot of problems for opposing offenses and so when you can say yeah maybe Bothroyd had some unluckiness here and there it's not a one-off though uh, outside of Murphy in 2020 who had eight sacks Brent Venables defensive ends have not done a whole lot the last five years last five six years so I don't know it's maybe it's a small sample size but given the fact that previously with all those years at Clemson and I, I didn't go back and look at OU but you could you can speak to it. I mean, Oklahoma's no, defensive never ends had, over years. I mean, even I mean they never had massive sack numbers like individual sack numbers with when Venables was here. I, you know, Dan Cody had ten sacks in one season. Austin English came out really really hot in the two thousand seven season, but just kind of cooled down. You know, cooled down the rest of his career there. Uh, no, they've never. I think Jeremy Beal was a solid player, but they've never at OU. They never had like a really ultra dominant defensive end. Dan Cody was probably the closest thing, um, and. I don't know. I, I'm I'm not as concerned about that as as you are. I suppose. I just like this is the one thing I to to jump ahead real quick. Like one of the things that really stood out to me while watching the Rose Bowl, and let let me know if like you saw this too. I thought the most impressive part about Michigan's defense was that, and they got tons of pressure on Jalen Milrow, so much pressure on him, and a lot has to do with Alabama's offensive line just not being good. But um, what I noticed was Michigan never allowed. Jalen Milrow to break contain like when they had him they had him and they weren't able to they, he wasn't really able to squirt through and which is you know that's not the case with OU's defense it really has never been the case and so like what do you have is it just because Michigan has really great players uh, I'm sure that's part of it but I don't know there, there's something there there is something there that is coaching or positioning that I think is really interesting and 
Got to tighten that up, especially like I think the Arizona game is a really, really good example. And you got to give Noah Fafita, you know, credit for escaping a lot of that stuff. But they sacked Fafita, what, like three or four times? It should have been way more than that. If if it was like they had they had him, they had him dead to rights numerous times, and yet they still allowed him to get to get away. Like Michigan doesn't allow that to happen. And so like what needs to change? Where do you got to get better? Well, I think you're missing. I mean, Milro did slip out a few times. I mean, there was that one where he did like a magician was able to slip out and pick up the first down, I think, in the second half. I think a lot of that stuff, they got a lot of that, their stats. I feel like in the first half, after halftime, it wasn't, I mean, they were still pressure, but I feel like they weren't sacking them as much after that in the second half. But yes, they're certainly better at keeping those guys contained. Uh, granted, when you know that Miller, all Milro's got is his legs and he's a one read guy, it's probably maybe a little bit easier because he wasn't going from read to read. I mean, that's just Miller's not very good. <laughs> he's just not a very good player as much as people want to pretend like he is. He's not. Uh, and I mean, we saw it. I mean, he got sure he got better over the season, I guess, but he wasn't very good against Texas. Uh, he, heck, there was a game where he didn't even play against USF, which is weird. And I, credit to him, though, I, for whatever reason, Georgia couldn't figure him out. <laughs> It's just it makes no sense at all. I don't that game does not make any sense to me. Per, maybe people that are smarter at football than me could just maybe it was a bad matchup somehow. I don't know. I don't know how it's a bad matchup whenever you're facing a one dimensional quarterback that the, the one thing people say he's good. He's good at is throwing a deep ball. Congrats. Like, so what? I mean, if that's the one thing you're good at, uh, it's still like it's not going to hit it every time. So but yes, to your point, uh, Michigan, yes, is much better at that. To go back real quick, 2008, Jeremy Beal. Eight and a half sacks, led the team. 2009, 11 sacks, led the team. Much better than anything Oklahoma's seen in the last couple of years and, and much better than a defensive end, even a NFL guy has done it you know, for Venable's defense in the last five years. So I'm, now I'm kind of just going back and looking at OU just because I'm kind of curious, but I just kind of figured 08 and 09. Jeremy Beal again, 2010, eight and a half sacks. He was there for a long time. Frank Alexander was seven, so... No, I mean, they, they had some good players there. I actually, I kind of want to go back to Caden Wollard real quick because I think his his fit in the defense, I think, is an interesting question. He's 6'5", 252, and, you know, that's that's good size. We already said, you know, he's he's long. He's got really long arms. But I, he's he's not heavy enough to play to play down on the defensive line. He's definitely like a jack-type linebacker where he's an overhang and he's like a pass rush specialist. And that's just – that's not how they used – someone like Desan McCullough this year. And so I'm, I'm curious as to just like what his fit is on the defense because he just doesn't seem like a guy that you want to put out there like on a four down defensive line in the SEC because he might get run over in the run game. I think he's big enough. I put in a little bit of weight. I mean, if you're worried about that, I mean, you're going to also be worried about PJ Adebore getting run over and getting pushed off the ball. Like, and you, we're hoping that he can be become a guy. I mean, he's going to have to. He has to become a guy. Yeah, yeah. I don't Armisen know. I mean, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more, I'm more just Thomas. thinking of like their their two starting defensive ends this year are thick dudes. But you know, Bothroyd and Downs are thick guys who can hold up well. Like uh, the, both of those guys have like twenty five to thirty pounds on Caden Wollard. Uh, Bothroyd is about two seventy, so maybe about fifteen twenty pounds on him. I mean, Adebore is two forty. I mean. Woolard's bigger than him, and then I mean, R. Mason Thomas is going to get pushed yeah, around true. if he's, he's yeah, not going to R. Mason so. Thomas is, is pretty small. So yeah, it's interesting. We'll see. And then obviously the you know, a big defensive end that I, I don't know, big uh, portal guy, uh, the Purdue 
I can't. Even, I don't know his name, but he, Nick Scorton. 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 His. Uh, you know, that was the guy. Hey, a ton of sacks in the Big Ten, and but no, he's going to A and M now. So he was uh, always going to go to A and He like he grew up like thirty minutes from campus, so that was like, okay. um, and that was like, and like it's so weird now in the portal because it seems like all the big time like portal targets. It's so fun. like the the teams that are like in on those guys the most. Of course, are all teams that are on OU schedule next season. Like for the most part, I'm mostly talking about like Ole Miss and Missouri and and all yeah. that. Um, and so like when I see him going to A and I'm just like, okay, good. That's like any any like go to anyone <laughs> but people who are on OU schedule next year. Cause, like you see Ole Miss just getting that haul, and like you can how Ole Miss is operating the portal. You can you can tell that they're like they're going all in on next season, trying to whatever that they means. Should, man. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what the, but also I'm, I'm kind of curious to see, like, it would be, it'd be really funny if like that just sort of backfires on them because they very clearly decided that their strategy is we're spending our NIL money in the portal and not high school recruiting. And it'll be interesting to see if that works. I mean, how do you know they're not still doing stuff with recruit? I mean, I, you have to do that if you're old Miss. I mean, they got a really good quarterback. I think Lane Kiffin's been proven. He's, he's a pretty good coach. Their defense is, is solid. They're, it's going to improve. They got weapons. It's a tough conference. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, why not? I mean, this, it's almost kind of like that's the way it is, though, now, right? But it's, it's similar to NFL teams. Like, I mean, the easy one from a couple years ago was the Rams just deciding to go all in and buying, like, you know, getting Stafford and spending all this money on, jeez, uh, what was the, the corner? Jalen Ramsey. They brought, you know, and they, it worked out for them. They won a Super Bowl. And the next year or two, they were kind of down. But now the Rams are back. I mean, Stafford's still there. The Rams are pretty solid. Granted, it's NFL college. But if you're Ole Miss, yeah, like, go for it. And you got people. It's the SEC, man. They're going to pay. But there's a trade-off, though, too, because they're losing Quinshawn Judkins now, too, who is probably yeah, their best player. What is going on? I, oh, he just wants I to get paid. That. They don't, they, like, that's where it is. Like, they don't, I think, like, the, the rumor is that he's asked for, like, a million and a half, basically, which I... That's that's absurd, whatever. But like, I, I'm sure. Yeah, Ole Miss is going after Walter Nolan. They get Princely. I can't say his last name, but you know who I mean. The and all the other guys that they've gotten. Yeah, you can't. There's you know money doesn't grow on trees, and mm-hmm. so I'm sure he. I'm sure Quinshawn Judkins sees all these guys getting the money, and he's like, hey man, I'm your best player. Pay, I should be the highest paid player on the team. He's gonna go somewhere. Else. He'll probably go to Bama or something and get get paid all that. If Quinson, Quinshawn Judkins was on Oklahoma's roster, do you think DeMarco Murray would have him at the top of the depth chart? I have no idea. I have no clue. <laughs> I say that as a joke, but I'm also kind of serious. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, just kind of a maybe a sideswipe there. No, it is a sideswipe, and it's he's really sideswipe, and it's totally deserved. Totally deserved. I saw Judkins play this year. I was like, whoa, that guy's that guy's really good. It's like, why can't Oklahoma get running backs that look like that anymore? All right, a couple other notes from the week. To, you know, the old transfer portal, people in and out. Oklahoma upgrade or upgrades. They get some offensive line depth from USC. Uh, Michael Tarkin. Should I get his name right? Tarquin, sorry. Michael Tarquin. And uh, I think he's an interior offensive lineman, I believe. He played at Florida, I think, as well. And I think he might be a swing so, guy. I think he can play both. Maybe he's a swing guy. Okay. And, um, yeah, he, he just played one year at USC. He transferred there from Florida. And he's a guy, like, he, he kind of reminds me of, like, I think he's probably like a McCade Mattire type, you know, I guess. Just a guy who is, who is playable. Because he's from the and, West Coast? Yeah. Coming, from, coming be, from California? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, but... Um, 
that's he he's a depth piece. I, I think he's a, he wasn't he wasn't great at USC this year, but I you know Bill Beanbow is a is a magician, so he'll figure it out. I'm sure. So, and I already mentioned Malaska. Uh, we we're talking about the cornerbacks. Another one that I want to bring up, and this is obviously a position of need, and I don't know where this is going, and, and maybe if this is the guy or not, but Oklahoma brings in a kicker named Tyler Keltner from Florida State. You think, oh, Florida State's kicker. Awesome. Well, he was the backup kicker. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't kick for Florida State this year. Florida State, I can't think of their kicker's name, but he had a pretty good year. I think he was like 19 to 21, so uh, their main kicker was pretty good. It's interesting, this Keltner guy, just one year at Florida State, he had transferred into Florida State before this past season from East Tennessee State, where he was there for a while. He played there for three or four seasons and was fine, uh, kicked a lot. I, I was looking back. So Keltner, he was a twice all-conference kicker, and that's FCS, and the Southern Conference. His numbers, though, you look at him, you're like, eh, they're, they're okay, I guess. That he, he kicks field goals for his career at a 75% clip, which not great, but it's better than Zach Schmidt <laughs> so far. Uh, he was before in 2022, he was 17 to 23 kicking, seven of nine between 40 and 49. That's, up, that's pretty good between 40 and 49. 0 of three from 50 plus. 2021 he was 18 of 23 so a couple of consistent seasons there 21 and 22 where he was five of six from 40 to 49 and one of three from 50 plus okay as a freshman he was 14 of 19 or i'm sorry 14 of 18 not not terrible four of six from four so he's he's okay for his career he's two of seven from 50 plus zach schmidt's never made a 50 yarder and uh, by the way, Zach Schmidt, of, in two years at Oklahoma, um, you know, the last two years, he's 28 of 40, which is a 70% clip. And he's 9 of 13 from 40 to 49. So they're, they're both kind of the same. I mean, 40 to 49, they're both kind of the same. So I'm guessing, so I maybe maybe this is a, a kicker battle. Maybe they bring in Keltner, and it's going to be Zach Schmidt versus Tyler Keltner. I think they have another, they have another like, freshman kicker coming in too who is like pretty highly regarded so good maybe that kind of gives them just like sort of a trio there of competition but you know man with field goal kicking the the solution to that always remains don't kick field goals score touchdowns and like i know that sounds stupid but like just don't put your team in that position yeah, but they're gonna I mean, lose. You're gonna have to have a kick. I, mean, look at, I, I know i know but like the best all these all these good teams have these good kickers too man that can kick i mean yeah you don't want to trot them out there very much but it's an extra weapon because you're not always going to get there, especially in the SEC, man. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm with you. I don't want kickers to kick either. But sometimes you got to. It just makes sense. So that's that's a position of need. We'll see what happens. Maybe some competition. I mean, maybe that was a big reason why Schmidt was kind of the way he was because apparently there was no competition in that room this year. I mean, nobody could beat him out. I believe, who was the other guy? Plaster? Plaster was there, and there was some other kicker, I believe. That I think Venables might have mentioned some at some random point that the other guys were were banged up and injured, so maybe people weren't even healthy in that room. But man, you're a kicker, just stretch. Like holy cow, like, make sure that your hamstrings don't or your your quads don't pop. I guess I, I don't know. Like you just you, you just use your legs. So interesting there. 
Other than that, any other Oklahoma news that you want to talk about that stands out to you that I may have missed? No, I don't think so. I mean, the the Zach Alley news, obviously the the biggest news of the week. And I, you know, I th- they're still competing for portal guys. And I think uh, stuff like that is going to continue to trickle out, trickle in. Things to look forward to is freshmen on the 2024 class who are the early enrollees are kind of starting to show up. Um, probably starting workouts and whatnot. And man, spring football will probably be here before we know it because we're old and life goes fast now. So I know, uh, yeah, it's like David Stone, for example. I know some of those OU incoming recruits were they have 15 dudes the last from that class. Week or two. 15 guys, I think, are early enrollees, and that's that's huge. Well, I was going to say they've been active in the last week or two playing in these all star games. And so, you know, I didn't watch any of them. Maybe some of you did. That just doesn't particularly interest me that much. But uh, so don't have any thoughts on any of that, unfortunately. Well, other than that, we can talk about the, the rest of bowl season. You know, it's been since the last time we were on all the New Year's Six Bowls, all the New Year's Day games, playoff stuff happened, all, all that fun stuff. Uh, we'll wait till the, the end for the playoff stuff, but I'll throw it out there. Any, any uh, thoughts on like we'll throw it out? I mean, the Cotton Bowl was on Friday night last week. I mean, ugly game between Missouri and Ohio State. You were on Missouri as, as time went on and got closer to that game. I started realizing that Missouri was probably the right side on the podcast. I was on Ohio State, and it turned out that was the case. What an awful, ugly game! Uh, Ohio State didn't have a quarterback. Ohio State was Missouri essentially to be there. Ohio State was essentially Iowa in that game. That Ohio State's defense was terrific this year. Yeah, like they yeah, they, they had the, honestly the three best defenses in college football this year are probably Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State, and um, they're terrific. They didn't have a lot of opt outs, and so but. Again, this is this was Ohio State's worst offense since the Jim, the Jim Tressel era, and they were without their their best players, and so it was always going to be a tough ask of Ohio State to score enough points to win this game, and so the way like it was kind of, Ohio State I think was up three to nothing at halftime, and it was just sort of like you their offense was so impotent that eventually Missouri was able to put some points on the board. I mean, Ohio State's defense giving up only 14 to Missouri in that game is that's a great performance from their defense. So, but yeah, that was that I mean that's I, that was a layup. I thought that was an easy one. Ohio State, man, they are I, I don't I don't know if I want to go as far as saying they're in trouble, but I think the people who question Ryan Day have a lot of ammo, especially right now. That was, they're that was they're you. going into next Going into That's next why. season, man, the, it's and they just got Will Howard in the in the portal, and I, I think Will Howard's a good player, but Will Howard is essentially Kyle McCord with just more mobility. And I, they're losing Marvin Harrison Jr. Ameka Buka is going to the NFL. They they haven't their wide receiver recruiting the last two cycles hasn't been as good. Like it hasn't churned out as got like the guys as much. Watch for Ohio State to take a little bit of a step back, even though their, their defense was terrific this year. And that, that will always, they'll be able to kind of hang their head on that. But Ohio state without like a, a really dynamic, great offense is kind of, it's kind of odd. And that's on paper going into next year. They're they're not going to be great on offense. No, I'm with you. And the Will Howard transfer is so interesting. I mean, for the time being, the thought was Will Howard was going to go to USC and that's, you know, didn't happen. And, I look at Will Howard, and he was a guy that when he first came on the scene, however, you know, a few years back, 
he was bad. He was he was not good, and he certainly improved his game a lot and became a, a better player. But he was a guy that at Kansas State this year, where he was off the field for times for their what Avery Avery is it Avery Johnson Avery the Johnson. Ba- yeah, I mean Will Howard is a basketball player. <laughs> Kansas State is a Kansas State essentially was saying thanks, see you later to Will Howard because they think yes. that because yes. they think that Avery Johnson has a better has a higher upside, which so. I watched I watched him in the 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 Pop Tarts Bowl and he does. The dude's really talented. <laughs> the Pop Tarts Bowl. Oh, we got to talk yeah, no, about it. Can I, we talk about that? That was the funniest. No, we don't need to well, talk about like Well, yes, we can. Yes, we can talk about that, but I I wanted to get to the point of said all about Will Howard, said all of that about Will Howard. Will Howard this past season, he might have been he'd have been the second or third best quarterback in the entire Big 10. Number one's JJ McCarthy. And then it's a it's to me it's a toss up between Will Howard and Maryland's quarterback to his brother. I'd, that, I'd I'd probably take Howard over over to a number two Talia. And, and it, it, they're, they're, he's better than Drew Aller, and it, I didn't see anybody else in that conference that was did anything. And I mean, so I thought, what does that, that say it, about the Big Ten? <laughs> I, I think I think that was one of the ironic things about how, like Kyle McCord was the second best quarterback in the Big Ten this year, and like they. And Ohio State said that's not good enough, and they let him go to Syracuse. So, and I, I just I, I don't know if Will Howard moves the needle completely there. Just with, except just with his legs, he's he's much more mobile. But I, in terms of like th- completing forward passes, like in their ability, I, that's him and McCord are equals. I, I don't really yeah, think I there's agree. there's much of a because like the the discourse on McCord got a little too like McCord's a, is a solid college player like he can he can complete forward passes yeah he's just not dynamic or anything okay what do you want to say about the pop tarts bull other than it's a great name and pop tarts are delicious yeah they were it's just I, I i don't have much to say other than like the whole bit at the end with the pop tart like being lowered into the toaster with the sign is objectively one of the funniest things that's like ever happened <laughs> In civilization, <laughs> it's just a. It was great. Like, and I'm one of those people who is like, I, I thought it was so stupid last year that OU was playing in the Cheez It Bowl. Is like, this is just like a parody of itself. But then, like the Pop Tarts Bowl this year, which it's the same bowl, they just changed sponsorships. Like, that was just the absurdity of it was perfect. It's like they they flipped it totally on its head and they embraced all the absurd and it worked so well. One of the funniest things I've ever seen in my entire life. Like the the shot of of him slowly rolling into the toaster <laughs> with the music playing in the background, and then the PA announcer in the stadium says "R.I.P. and peace, Strawberry." <laughs> and then the and then the photos of of the half eaten pop tart by the Kansas State players end. It looks like- <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I saw that. That was great. I think oh, somebody said it was like it was the most genius marketing thing they had ever seen, and like it is, it's great. Like I'm, there's no way I will ever forget that the rest of my life. It's so funny. Yeah, whoever took the picture of the almost fully eaten pop tart after the fact, I saw somebody. There was a you probably saw it too. That there was a tweet that did like a side by side of that that picture and the the Harvey Dent from the Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises, where like the face was just half off. It looked eerily similar. It's like, basically like funny. his entire face was eaten off, but his eyes were still there. <laughs> yeah. So that was great. That was good. I think and that's, I mean, that is objectively a high point in college football this season. 
that game. I mean, just unbelievable. Well, if you want to talk about that fun, hilarious bowl game bits using mascots, the a close second, I think, is the, the Cheez-It Bowl this year, the Citrus Bowl, the Tennessee-Iowa game. And the, the best, the, the bit where the, the, the Cheez-It mascot, I'm sure everyone saw it, just sl- slowly slides in the Cheez-It box to Josh Heupel. <laughs> I'm, I'm struggling to compose myself. <laughs> slowly so squeezes it in between Josh so Heupel good. and Nico. I can't say his last name. And then somebody grabs uh. it. And then the hand turns into a thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> the entire time you just see this. This orange thing in the background with sunglasses and it looks kind of like a horror movie, but he's got a box of Cheez Its. Uh so it and it it's great because both snacks, both food products are delicious. I love Cheez Its. I love uh, the extra toasted Cheez Its. They are delicious. And I love Pop Tarts. I don't buy them as much as I used to, obviously because they're not good for you, but man, they make you feel great. And I don't I don't like Pop Tarts in the toaster. I, I prefer my favorite Pop-Tart, and it's nobody's favorite Pop-Tart except for mine, apparently. I love cherry Pop-Tarts, and I love them room temperature, and I think they're delicious. I, I, strawberry's good. Fine. Like, I'll eat strawberry. Don't get me wrong. Heck, I'll eat blueberry. Sure, why not? I, if I could pick, I, I love cherry, and I like cherry room temperature, and that's my fave. Hard-hitting, hard-hitting discussion here. Maya, uh, I like Pop-Tarts, too. I like them in a the toaster, but I, 90% of the time, I'd have them just room temperature. They're good either way. My favorite Pop-Tart flavor is, and this, this doesn't exist anymore, it was just like a special flavor. For like a year, they had, they had Fruit Loop flavored Pop-Tarts. Those were exquisite, were so good. And uh, they got rid of them because I think I was the only one who liked them. <laughs> okay, let's move on back to football. Orange Bowl. Least... Oh, yeah, yeah, go Orange. I, I, I have nothing gonna... to say about that game, nothing. It's just, it's just too bad. It's too bad because... Here's my only thoughts on, I mean, Georgia beat Florida State by 60, 60 points. And it just sucks because all the generic people out there point to that game and say, Florida State, see, yeah, that's why you weren't in the playoff. <laughs> it's like, guys, what about Georgia? Georgia's one of the top teams. They could have been in the top four. They weren't. They missed out. Florida State, had their entire team wasn't there. They didn't care. You can't point to that game and say, that's why you weren't in the college football playoff. You can make the argument in different ways. In my opinion, that's not your argument. <laughs> you can't use that game and say, well, that, uh, you know, that settles it. So that's my biggest issue with that is, is it's, it's a very, uh, very low calm to nom thought, I feel like. Uh, give Florida State you know, actually some reason to play in a game and their entire team is there. I don't think they could be by 60. They ain't going to beat Georgia. But, I, again, I, everyone probably disagrees. I, I think they could have not been beaten by 60 by like a Michigan team if they would have played a Michigan team. I, it, I don't know. But still, yeah, it, they weren't going to beat Michigan. I don't, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that game has any, I don't think any commentary on that game as it relates to the college football playoff is relevant or smart at all. I, I think if you want to, any takeaways from that game, it's that just uh, opt-outs and all of that stuff have, have in a lot of instances, made the bowl system just a total joke. And um, I don't like it. I've, like, I've been on my soapbox about this the last... I, I just, I don't get it. It doesn't, it doesn't, I... 
it makes sense. Like I, I can rationalize. Like I understand why why players are opting out, but it, it honestly doesn't make sense to me. Like why not opt out from like the ninth game of the season on, if you're scared of like it 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 logically that actually doesn't make sense. I mean, using that, there's an argument there. It's it's so subjective. Like you're using like a subjective thing where it's like, oh, it's like the regular season. Those are the games that really count. And I'm like. If you really want to get deep about it, none of this stuff counts as soon as you're out of like the national championship picture, which is a vast majority of teams just like honestly four or five games into the season. So I just it makes no sense. Granted, if you're Florida scared State, of getting though, hurt and losing a- money, why are you why are you even playing your senior year or like your last year? Yeah. I mean Florida State's not a good example of that because Florida State was in it until the end. Uh, but yeah, you could point to other I mean, other teams maybe that had a couple losses like that we're not going to make the playoff sure and you can say yeah like why you know if you're like a elite player why didn't you just if he if like i can't think of one right now but yeah if there was like an elite player that wasn't going to be in the playoff and they knew that in the start of november and then they decided to opt out of the bowl game but they played the rest of the season you could yeah you could, your argument is like yeah why not just opt out the rest of the season See, the, 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 the logic heck? is just inconsistent it just bugs me and like i get it i, I know like the biggest the biggest one who is the the Notre Dame linebacker who tore his ACL against Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl like 10 years ago. And I think he's still in the NFL, but he just, he was going to be like a top 10 pick and he just hasn't, I can't think of his name, but like that was a big one. And then the year that Christian McCaffrey sat out, that was the thing that got it started where like a lot of people started sitting out the bowl games when Christian McCaffrey didn't play in the Sun Bowl like eight years ago. And I, I just, it's not good for college football. Like, and I know it's a lot of it is just individuals doing what they think is best for themselves. But I, it just, the logic of it just gnaws at me. Big, t- it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't like. Do you like football or not? It doesn't bother me that much. It just, it kind of makes sense. It is what it is. Uh, I mean, it. But I, I don't, I don't have the same feelings about college football as you do, and I guess a lot of people do. It just doesn't, it doesn't hit me the same way. I, to me, it. Sure, you can make the. It's it, logically doesn't make sense. And there's there's some truth to that, but logically to me it kind of does. That I mean, you're you're even closer to the next season. That it's a timetable thing, and so for whatever reason, the extra month I guess is why people think. Well, you know, if you get hurt in the middle of November, yeah, I mean, to your point, if you get hurt at the end of December or beginning of January, that's that's a month and a half. Like, what's the big deal? And you can make that argument, sure, but there's some. They're just worried about being injured and not having enough time to to recover for the next season or not have enough time to do you know work out in the combine and but you know that. I know that. It's but it yeah, there's just like it's just it's one of those like subjective things. It's a trend at this point in time. And I just like I I don't think anyone has really stopped to 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 like really think through the logic of all of it. It's 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 obviously turned into just a trend of of guys being like, Oh, I'm gonna sit out because I think I'm an NFL guy. And well, this is and, and, this is, and this is what guys who this is what this is what guys who think they're NFL guys do. So that's what I'm going to do. It's just mm, maybe it's like it, it's turned into fashion. That's what it is. <laughs> Were you going to try to change subjects a second ago before we started getting onto this? Did you want to go oh, no. next to the next thing or I didn't realize we were just going down the line here. So um, I had something to say about the Citrus Bowl, but I can say that when we get there. So, yeah, uh, so that was Georgia blowing out. I mean, OK, so the Peach Bowl. You know, Ole Miss, Penn State, one of the few games I got right. 
And you know, I was ha- of course, you know, I'm happy to see Penn State lose. Don't like Penn State. Didn't like them all year. Watched a lot of them. Uh, I know their defense was down though. Like I, I believe they were down their top two corners. So that had to have factored into the way that game played out. But to me, what was more interesting about that game is the offense. And the offense continued to struggle because it's not a good offense. I don't care about all the stats to put up with points. It's not a good offense. And I'm curious to see what it looks like next season because Drew Aller, he may not be the right person for Andy Kolonicki's offense coming in from Kansas. And you'd think he'd want, and I know you've kind of touched on this a little bit, but you think he wants somebody more mobile than Drew Aller who's not mobile. And we saw in that bowl game, their number nine freshman quarterback, Bo Prabula, or Prabula, however you say his name, played a little bit. He kind of played sparingly this year, and he seems to be a guy that can run. And so the question with Penn State, I'm sure they're going to ask themselves. I mean, maybe not. Maybe, maybe that's just me. But are they even going to allow some sort of quarterback competition with a new offensive coordinator coming here? Because Aller was such a, a high five, you know, five-star recruit, first time they've ever really had one. So that's kind of the interesting thing to me is coming out of that game, what's Penn State's offense going to be? Because, yeah, I mean, the defense is good, and it, I was happy to see Ole Miss and Jackson Dart do a lot of the things they wanted to do against a defense that had not really been challenged much all year long through the air against a team that can throw and complete passes. And what do you know? Granted, they're down their two top corners, but, I mean, Ole Miss kind of had a field day doing whatever it wanted because when all Penn State does is just blitz a bunch and put a bunch of pressure, it puts a lot of openings out there to, for a quarterback that actually knows what he's doing and realizes that there's going to be open guys here if I get rid of the football. Don't see a lot of that in the Big Ten, and that's how Penn State can get away with it from game to game consistently, I think. And so that, but again, they were kind of down. So, I mean, full strength Penn State defense, maybe they would have played better, but I was happy to see how that game played out. I thought, honestly, I, I struggled to watch. I thought this game was boring as hell, man. That this game was hard to watch. I, I just, I didn't think it was because it was that same thing. Like I, Penn State looked impotent a lot of the times. It didn't look like they were really able to, to dig out of any sort of like double digit hole. And, and I mean, I'm still just still just kind of salty. I thought I thought OU is a better team than Ole Miss this season and deserved that spot over them. And uh, yeah, I just I that game to me was just was so ho hum and boring that I just I just didn't care. I feel like the score was also closer than it really was because Penn State there was a couple plays where they were kind of lucky explosive plays that were like there was a tipped pass that they somehow was caught by a tight end that he went for sixty or seventy yards that got them into the red zone like. Really? They're getting these? Because that, that didn't happen a whole lot all year. And Penn State's main issue is that they don't hit explosive plays. They don't throw the ball down the field. They don't throw the ball down the field. And they couldn't do it against Ole Miss. A, a very, like, a fine defense in the SEC. Not, nothing special, but a defense that when you play against an offense like that can look pretty good. And Ole Miss, like, when, like, the three best offenses that Ole Miss played against this year were Alabama, Georgia, and LSU. And they got freaking shredded in all of them. Not as much against Alabama, but Georgia and LSU up and down the field on them. Yep. So there's that one. P- uh, Fiesta Bowl, blowout, Oregon over Liberty. No surprise there. The, the thoughts I have on this game have nothing to do with this game, really. But I wanted to ask you a question. And I don't expect you to be an expert on Liberty's 2023 team. <laughs> but... How do you know, or do you have any thoughts, or how does that Liberty team, you think, compare to the 2006 Boise State team that beat Oklahoma, and how does that Oregon team with Bo Nix this year, how does it compare to that 2006 Oklahoma team? Is there any similarities at all? The Liberty team 
is way worse than that 2006 Boise State team. Okay. And and that that the Oregon team this year is probably a little bit better than the 2006 OU team. Yeah, that's what I was getting at because I just found it interesting that I didn't think that Dan Lanning and Oregon I, I figured Dan Lanning there's no way he's going to leave any doubt he's not going to let Liberty smell this game whereas OU gets beat by Boise State and like if Dan Lanning was if 2023 Dan Lanning coached that Oklahoma team back then Oklahoma probably beats Boise State by three touchdowns come on you think they're going to let Boise State win no nah. I like Dan Lanning a lot uh, although he yeah, lost I mean, to Washington I twice I don't have any thoughts on that I mean my big and, and I don't know if I if this is like a, a thought that I'm First, you know, I'm sure about at this point in time, but ooh, watching that game, I started thinking to myself, are we sure we want to guarantee a spot for the best G5 team in the playoff? Because now with the transfer portal, the, the gap is going to grow. And so like, I, I think one of the things that we have seen, and this was one of, this is one of the criticisms of people of the transfer portal said that like, this is not as, it was always the best players in the G5 are just going to hop into the portal and get, and and whenever they have a good season, and that's what's happening. And it makes, logic dictates that that had to happen. That was always going to happen. And if you're going to continue doing that, just the gap between the two, between the G5 and the P5, the P4 now, is going to, it's just going to get so much bigger. And I don't, I'm I'm just saying like I and I say that now of course because OU is involved where it's like this year if if the 12 teamer was this year OU would have been the last team out and Liberty would have gotten in ahead of them and, and I'm t- like in a game that matters OU would beat Liberty by five touchdowns too so like it's we can't uh, oh yeah but also I mean it, SMU was was obviously the best G5 team this year SMU would have would have fared. SMU with Preston Stone would have fared much better against Oregon. Like they would have lost, but they would have been competitive for a half at least. The problem is Preston Stone; he's not healthy, so he it wouldn't even have been him anyways. So, and I said yeah, SMU lost to Boston, lost, lost to a bad Boston College team. So it's I mean that's just I mean the the gaps just just getting bigger, and that's it is what it is. All right, so you wanted to talk about the Citrus Bowl. I got some thoughts on this too, but I'll let you go first. Yeah, no, I just want to give a shout out to Iowa for uh, losing by five touchdowns and still uh, hitting the under. Love it. I appreciate you guys. Just really committed to the bit. And uh, I haven't seen the, um, I, I, I really haven't seen like the stats or anything, but like I, I think it's something crazy, like the under hit in like 90% of their games this year. What was the total on that one? Like 37? I got it at 36 36? and a half. I think it. Okay. I think it was under, like it, it. It was bet down to under thirty six and a half by kickoff. So I don't think. So I think it the the final total went over, but um, I, I got it at thirty six and a half. So I just, I thought it was so funny. I got and they they lose thirty five to nothing. Still hit the. It's so funny. But hey, early in that game, Iowa was threatening and almost scored a touchdown before they threw a pick in the end zone. <laughs> and I think it was funny because you brought up how. You know, Tennessee's got a, a pulse on defense, and so if that is the case, then I was going to be on shutout alert. Sure enough, there they were. They get shut and out. Also, I'm watching um, – how did – why was Joe Milton Tennessee's quarterback this year? Man, that guy, the, I don't know. The Nico, I can't say his last name. I'll practice it before next year. But uh, that guy is a lot better than Joe Milton. A, like a lot that was, better. That was my biggest takeaway, man. I'm going to – Nico, I am lava. 
That's kind of what his name looks like. I'm going to go with that. He looked really good, and his numbers weren't very gaudy at all, but he's big. He can move. That's who's going to, yeah. like, that's who's going to run for 100 yards on OU next year in Ugh. Norman. And you just, like, I was kind of thinking that Tennessee was in a weird spot. Like, they were kind of, and then I see this guy play a quarterback. I'm like, oh, man, they actually might be better. I mean, they're going to be better at that position next year, probably. I thought they were going to kind of be at a down spot. Crap. So, but yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I will say this, though. I, I, I will say this. I, like, Iowa deserved everything it got in that game against Tennessee. A ridiculous team that wins double-digit games but is actually just atrocious on obviously just one side of the ball. And, that, and to me, that means you're a, kind of a bad football team. Like, if you're that bad on one side of the ball, you suck. Like, you're not – like, it's a joke. It is an absolute joke that they were able to win that many games. And you got to give credit to their defense, sure. But the problem is with my thoughts is that Tennessee's offensive numbers weren't all that great. Iowa's defense is terrific. And there's no doubt about that. The defense played really well. Here's what all I'm saying. This is my thing. I would have loved to have seen Iowa and Penn State and Michigan and Ohio State just play in a different conference, a full schedule, like maybe the Pac-12 or the Big 12, to see if those defenses could be consistently as dominant as they were in the Big 10. Because my contention is, no, they would not. Yes, they'd be, they'd be good. They'd rack up some good numbers. They'd, be, they'd still be good defenses. I just don't think the stats would be the same gaudy, like, oh, my gosh, look at – they're all in the top ten in the nation. Like, look at these. They're just ungodly. I just don't think that would happen. And that's, that's my main contention. It's a good defense, yes. It's a very good defense. But that's the thing is I just would like to see them play consistently against teams that can actually throw forward passes and actually score. And they don't see that consistently in the Big Ten. At least this year they didn't. Well, I mean, it's going to be – as we as we go along now, I mean, you got I mean USC, Washington, and Oregon are going to be in the Big Ten next year, and I don't think I think I think Iowa only plays one of those teams next year. I can't remember which one, but there you go. There's 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 three competent passing attacks being injected into the Big Ten right away, and like I've already said, I mean, I think Oregon is is very obviously the favorite in the Pac Ten or the the Big Twelve next year, Big Twelve, Big Ten next year, um, or at least on paper right now. So. Um, it's going to be interesting, but it's also going to be weird. All right. To the playoff games, and you nailed it. You were on both Michigan and Washington, and I was on the other side, so I got it wrong. Granted, I, I do kind of think that man, Alabama should have beat Michigan. <laughs> they should have won that game. I, I, see, I just I disagree. I, like at, That game went like play-by-play, play, that's kind of what I thought. Alabama's not that, like, okay, sorry, I don't want to, Alabama's obviously good. It's just not, relative to other Nick Saban teams, they're just kind of whatever. Like, I, I think Georgia beats them eight out of ten times. Like, it's, like, good, good, on, like good on Nick Saban getting there, and, like, Alabama is loaded with a bunch of good players, but what they're not loaded with is good offensive linemen, quarterbacks, or receivers. Everywhere else, they're loaded. And that's just kind of, how it is. So I, I thought Michigan was clearly the better team play in and play out. They just kind of Michigan clearly had some demons they had to get over in that game and, and they did. Like my point is that I agree, Alabama is not that great. I think it I think it, their defense is very good. I think it's a very good Alabama defense, it turned out to be. And Michigan was Michigan to me. 
they're not that impressive. That congratulations, you <laughs> your defense looked good against man, a, such a one-dimensional poor poor quarterback. That it was a Big 10 game and it was definitely the the most talent they've seen in a Big 10 game next to Ohio State and they weren't playing at home this time. And it was a game that Alabama was winning into the fourth quarter and credit to Michigan's offense. They picked up, you know, a, a you know, fourth down in their own territory to go score that touchdown and, and go down the field and score. And I I don't know, man. Like I know they they overcame some bad special teams plays in that game. Granted, they kind of got lucky right off the bat that Alabama's defensive back on accident put his foot out of bounds. So to me, that kind of made up for like they muffed a punt. And it kind of was like, okay, they evened out in a way. Man, like, by the way, how it was the beginning of the game, but what a terrible start for Michigan. And all of a sudden you see the replay, like, oh, thank gosh. Like, anyways, small thing. What was it like? Yes. Alabama had 30 yards of offense in the first half. I, I, this oh, is yeah. I mean, like, Alabama, like, I just, I think it's so funny, like all the OU fans complaining about the offensive line when it's just like clear. Watch the game. OU's offensive line is a lot better than Alabama's, a team in the college football playoff. Well, it was a lot better. It's I I'd say it's better at some things. I mean, Bama clearly has better running backs than Oklahoma. So I, it was a game where Alabama didn't play all that well. Miller got sacked fifty think- times this year. That's atrocious. If if seriously, yeah. if an OU offensive line gave up fifty sacks. It would, like, our fan base would cease to exist. But yeah, it was, a, it was a game in which, good for Michigan, they pulled it out. I, I'm just not particularly impressed with that team. I haven't really been all year. Aside from the fact that they, they have blown out teams the way they're supposed to, good for them. They should. Uh, the schedule they played was bad. They didn't play a good schedule. And they, very, they may very well win it all. And we'll, well, I guess we'll talk about the matchup here coming up, but... Uh, congrats to Michigan. It's just, uh, but you know what? It was to to see Alabama beat them. And yeah, you know, Michigan got the, like I it's Alabama was the clear four seed in this tournament. Like I, I, I I understand that Texas and Alabama was, was almost three months ago. Now, man, Texas is a lot better than Alabama, like a lot better than Alabama. They still are. Still are. They still are. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The other one. And, before this all started, you were kind of of the mind that Washington had a bit of an OU 2000 kind of feel to them, kind of like a Cinderella upstart, and that's that's playing out. And, j- hey, just like Oklahoma in 2000, I mean, Washington's now beaten Texas. So, <laughs> I mean, Washington, uh, the offense was good. I figured, the, I mean, everyone thought that game would be high scoring. It ended up being high scoring, and the over hit. Everybody hit the over. I just figured that Texas's offense would be better against Washington's defense, which isn't that great. And Texas ran the ball really well. It just it came down. I mean, Quinn Ewers didn't make enough throws, and they could not get their two receivers going. I don't know how the heck you can't get Xavier Worthy going or A.D. Mitchell or even Jatavian. Uh, J- why am I blanking on J- J- Jatavian? Sanders? Th- Sanders. I almost said Thomas. Who's, is there a Jatavian Thomas? I don't know why. I, don't, I mean, credit to Washington – by somehow letting those guys basically not do anything. Granted, A.D. Mitchell, to me, and the stats don't bear this out, but I feel like A.D. Mitchell doesn't really do anything until the second half of games, but that's probably not true. But, I mean, he, he came on and got a touchdown catch in that game later, but credit to Washington's defense for somehow uh, making sure those guys were nothing for most of the game. Yeah, Washington did a good job. They did a good job. I, um, 
I really like Washington. That's just that's a very likable team, and it's it's fun. It's like it's just, it's just, it's nice to see that in college football. It's been a long time since I've seen like another team where I'm just like, yeah, I, I kind of like them. It's easy to root for them. Um, Michigan's not an easy team to root for. Like I I wanted Alabama to win that game. Um, so I, but Washington to me has been kind of the clear easy team to root for this year, and their their offense is just so fun to watch. Penix is terrific. He's so fun and. Um, I, I like my my feeling on Texas while watching them the entire season was, man, this is just a really solid team with a lot of really good players who made, you know, finally for the first time in 15 or so years, Texas finally made the plays like they needed to make in the instances to win those games. And but their weakness is yours. It is yours. And Quinn Ewers is like, I'm not saying he's bad. He's not. He's a very capable. Player. He's a he's a good college football player. He's not special. He's just not. And I, unless he takes a big step this next year, and I know now, like, it was, you know, a month or so ago, it was, like, kind of leaked out that he was coming back. And now that's, like, not official. Like, it's kind of up in the air or something now. I'm sure he probably will still come back. But he's, if there is a problem on their offense, it's yours. He's just, he's just not consistent. Uh, I think I think he's I think he's pretty good. Uh, no, I think and, he's and pretty good too. He's just not he's not dynamic. He is not. My pushback on uh, I'll I'll take a step further. Sure, yeah, he could be better. Yes, maybe their biggest strength and also maybe their biggest weakness on offense is Sark. <laughs> I I don't know what the heck they were doing at the end of the game. I mean, some of his play calling is like, dude, what are you doing, man? I mean, the fact that he even got a chance at the end of the game was insane. I. When they didn't recover the onside kick, I turned the game off. I, I, turned, I was like, oh, it's over. And I, got, I saw the alert the next day. that the, I was like, what do you mean, like, crazy company? Like, what are you talking about? And I went, back, I went back and watched it. I was like, what the heck? They had a chance with, inside the red zone with, like, multiple shots to win inside the game? Inside the 15. Yeah. They, they, yeah, inside they, the 15. Had, they, had, they had, like, three shots inside the 15-yard line. And, they're, and, yeah, the play calls were kind of weird. They were kind of weird. So... I, uh, what's your what's your take on? Because I mean, I, I thought I, Texas was insanely lucky to have a chance in that game. Like I, I thought things bounced their way in that game, kind of remarkably at times. Um, I like what's your take on that last thing? The guy getting hurt there and the clock stopping and everything. I've heard some people say, "Oh, that's a bad rule." I don't think it's a bad rule. I it's um, but like one the the one thing that I I I like really do believe on there is. How 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 are there not two offensive linemen there dragging him off of the field in that situation? How you have like that's right, one of right, those things yeah. where it's like that needs to be or like if you're an offensive line you see that immediately you're like oh crap get him off the field and it makes it look even worse today because that's the running back right who's yeah and up. he's gonna play I I doubt he plays I but also I guess I don't know. Like it's yeah, that's that's true. Maybe maybe yeah. If if he's out, then but like if he's gonna play, dude, and he, his fi- like he acted like he was gonna die. Like it looks like if he's like a- available to go, it's like come on, man. He was he was reacting like his ankle got snapped in the opposite direction. Is yeah. like that's looked like how much pain he was in, and so I and like I, I'm I'm of the I'm of the like I I don't think that you kneel down there. I like I am definitely of the. It's like, yeah, what are the, you're not, you're not really pricing it that this guy is going to get hurt and the clock is going to stop right there. That's not, because you get a first down, the game's over and you don't have to give the ball back to Texas. Like that's, that's why you run it there. That's, that's why you do that. It's just, 
man, I really feel like in that situation, and maybe I'm maybe this is just not realistic, but yeah, I you got to have a couple offensive linemen there who understand the moment and understand we got to get him off the field. Well, also, I mean, what are the odds that anybody even knew that was a rule? I didn't know that was a rule. I mean, is that I'm something even that... watching football? That's a rule at, on every, every level of football. So the guy gets hurt, and did so. I guess I, did Washington have to use like one of their timeouts? Is that how that worked or something? No, I think they they asked like it was Texas. Like, do you want to? Because like there would be like a I don't know. There was like this isn't about like a ten second runoff or. A, but that's okay. just that's just how it is, man. Someone gets hurt, and because like I know a lot of people say, "Oh, you got to change that rule. You got to change that rule." But like, no, there's no really perfect suggestion there. It's all it's like if you stop the clock and then you say we're going to start the clock again, like on the whistle, and then there's a new play clock and everything, then that's screwing over Texas. Because that because the more because more time would because like normally because normally in, in middle portions of the game though I believe that if there's an injury like that. They'll stop everything, but then when they come back out, I think the clock does start, or, or maybe it doesn't. Maybe maybe it starts on it play. Might. It might. Yeah, know. I'm not sure. But because like the thing is, I don't know the rule. I feel like it, it. It's very humbling to me, and also it's a problem. Whatever. I love football so much, and it's something that I I've been following and I've been paying attention to for a lot of my life. And yet, there's a couple of things, some rules that I don't even know. And it's like, oh, you should probably know that. <laughs> like that. my my, uh, my excuse is always like if i was a coach i would make sure i knew everything i'm not a coach though but also like on on washington like i thought i mean how, if you're washington how on earth do you allow that pass to whittington down there how do you have single coverage on anyone in that situation i like it's I and when ou was down um to arizona by a touchdown at the end of that game i like and it was like first and 20 and like first and long and stuff like that. Arizona put out a defense that is literally, you cannot do anything against throwing it through the air. And like, I very rarely see people like they just put like seven guys in a row on the line where the first down marker was. That's just what they did. And in that situation, like I don't, you can't do anything against that. Like you can, you like you can I get, mean, a, you can get you chunk can yardage on the ground against that. But like late you have a in the game, quarterback that can anticipate holes and where the, you can, but it's 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 hard on purpose. But yeah, but yeah Washington, so Washington was like playing playing them straight up, man. They were just like they were pre- they were blitzing. They were, but they were they were playing offense straight up. I, I kind of liked. I mean, if it would have backfired, it would have been the biggest story ever. But man, Kalen DeBoer is obviously a great coach, and I, I kind of love how they're throwing it, and they're like, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put this game away, and like I put put the ball in Penix's hands, and I mean. Freaking Dylan Gabriel have been has been in college forever, and Jeff Levy didn't even do that with Dylan Gabriel sometimes. But with Zach Penix, DeBur and Grubb are like, yeah, here you go. Here's the ball, man. We trust you to make a play. You're smart. Well, so really, uh, really looking forward to to watching the national championship game. It's a, it's well, I mean, it's 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 nice not to have an SEC team in there. It's it's nice that. You know that, that that's not going to be the case, and and I genuinely do believe these have been the two best teams in college football all season long. Yeah, and, and, you know, I I did not want to watch the Texas Alabama rematch. I don't think anybody outside of Austin and Tuscaloosa wanted to see that. Texas would have won by double if, digits again. Man, if and the, the worst part is that if they would have won those games and been playing, how many college football pundits and quote unquote experts would be talking about how excited they were for this rematch? Like. 
Stop it. No. Why? Why would you be excited? You've already seen this game. Why? If you're, unless you're a Bama or a Texas fan, why would you want to see that game again? This isn't the NFL where, okay, like there's a, a giant playoff and yeah, you might get a rematch in the Super Bowl and it might be kind of cool to see that. I mean, we might get a rematch this year in the Super Bowl. Who knows? Like, but, and that, that'll be fine. I'm sure if, if it's like Ravens, Niners or something, okay, sure. That's a, been probably the two best teams all year. Why would you want to see that? So I'm with you. Like I'm the fact, even though I was totally wrong about the pick and Michigan went ahead, like I'm anybody against Michigan, if it was Texas or Washington, I would have been super excited to see. And this game, like this is a more fun matchup for me. Like I, I said, I didn't like the last two matchups because I wanted to bet on Washington and I wanted to bet on Texas. Cause I thought both those teams were uh, to me. I thought those are the two best teams in this tournament. Uh, now, I, I'm kind of probably giving away where I, I mean I'm I'm going to take Washington plus the four and a half I think there's only really only one way Michigan wins this football game and it's the way that they've won all their games this year for the most part they bully Washington they dominate time of possession and they run the ball down their throats and they limit possessions for Washington their defense is very good obviously Washington's not going to score 50 points probably I don't know who knows maybe they will they probably won't but I'd love to see it happen uh, they limit Washington's possessions, and Washington has to be so fine, and they don't have the ball that much, and they're trailing, so it's a pressure game, and that's how Michigan wins this game. How Michigan loses this game is that they fall behind because they're playing a team that can actually complete forward passes for the first time all year at a high level. Good receivers on the outside, really good head coach, really good offensive coordinator, and they put Michigan on their heels defensively for the first time all year and Michigan's kind of playing catch-up all game. That's, that's how they lose. I'm going to bank on Zach Penix and Washington plus the four and a half. Michael Penix. And also to win straight up. Michael Penix. Um, what did I say? You said Zach Penix. Michael Penix. Oh, um, yeah. Shout out to our friend Zach Penix. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a name from a long time ago. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on Washington, too. I, obviously, I foreshadowed this last, last week. I, I think Washington has the special juice this year, and I am. I think they most they most resemble a team of, of a great team in modern football, which is a team that that completes forward passes at an extraordinarily high level, and I I don't think Michigan can really do that. I like this this might honestly be this game might be really close to like the TCU game last year. Where it's just okay, like okay, okay, come on. Oh, 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 Michigan versus TCU. You mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, do you think? Oh, like Washington I, I, was gonna like beat Michigan by five touchdowns? No, no, no. I mean, like <laughs> this could be like one of those games where it's like because like I, I think Michigan is gonna move it on Washington's offense and score, but like I I think like if Washington is playing well, no one can stop them because of just the because of how high powered the passing attack is. I mean, that's the thing is, if Michigan had had some evidence this year of playing some some good teams that can that have good offenses and show that they could kind of slow them down, then I'd be pretty, you know, a lot more worried if I'm Washington. But they just have not seen anything like that. And maybe, you know, their ridiculously easy, dumb, terrible offense, Big Ten schedule finally catches up to them. I mean, they played a season where they didn't face any good offenses. The best one they saw was Ohio State and Ohio State's down relative to that program offensively and then they get to the playoff and instead of facing a tcu like last year that can score a bunch of points they play a team that's most similar to a big 10 team in this tournament in alabama that's got a really good defense and as a, a, a not a, a very one-dimensional offense 
So it's all kind of worked out for Michigan up to this point. Now they finally are going to get tested with a team that can throw it around. You could throw, flip the script and say, well, for the first time all year, you know, Washington's playing a, a great defense. Well, Washington just played a pretty good Texas defense. Texas has got a good defense. Uh, granted, it's not great against the pass. I think a lot of that is because Texas plays in the Big 12. And there's better passing offenses. If Texas played in the Big 10 this year, their pass defense would be a heck of a lot better than it is statistically right now. So Washington just got done playing a, a pretty good defense in Texas. Oregon's got a good defense. I mean, Dan Lane's a defensive guy that played them a couple times. UCLA has got a pretty solid defense. I mean, they've, they've played some defenses. So there's a little bit more of a metric there. And also throwing the fact that that there's only a, a, about a week in between. I mean, this is like a regular setup. There's no bye week. There's no three weeks off. I mean, boom, who's the better team at preparing in about six, seven, eight days? I love this that. This game is coming down to execution. That's what this game is going to be because there's not, there's not that time to prepare. I mean, you're like by the time those teams got home and everything settled, you're at like, this game's in three days. Just like the NFL, and so like I, I think that's a really interesting dynamic, and yeah, I, I, I guess if you really want to just boil it down to one bit of logic of why I'm going with Washington in this game is Washington objectively is the more tested team. Objectively, they are. There you go. Did we ever get to the the point that we teased at the very beginning of the show about possible parity or whatever you were saying, or do we even? Get to that. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I'm just yeah. Just look at the. I, I watched those. I those those the two playoff games on Monday. Like, and there's all, all these teams are good teams and everything. Relative to the other playoff fields, these these teams are worse. These teams are worse than the, than they've been in the past. Like I, because like I you know why I think Penix is great. I think Penix and that offense is is definitely up there with some of the best that have been in the playoff. But their defense isn't really any good. Like relative to some of the other ones. And I like. Listen, man. I, I I don't I don't think OU is. Well, I mean, OU did beat Texas, so we saw that on the field, and it wasn't a fluke. And like, OU can play with all of those teams. And like that that was not the case. Like OU could not play with Georgia last year. Oh gosh, no. Gosh, no. The fact that Georgia lost to Alabama this season kind of makes me think that, that Oklahoma could find a way to play with Georgia this year, even though Georgia is obviously very good. I mean, it's. They're one of the best Georgia, four teams. Everyone knows that. Georgia, yeah. No, yeah. Georgia Tech was was challenged Georgia. So yeah, OU could can challenge them. Um and I I that that's cool. Like I, I do think like the the whole super team stuff that kind of looked like it was it was starting to to transpire was was really not good for the sport. And hey, this might just be a one year off and maybe Georgia is back to just absolutely killing and dominating everybody again next year. Maybe. I hope not. I hope the tr- the trend continues, man. Because yeah, we'll get a brand new champion this year. Like you said, I'm no SEC team in the playoff. It's interesting. Like no SEC team this year. The year before, they're gonna the SEC's expanding, and it's all these other teams. It's kind of interesting. Pac 12s dead. They could have a national champion. <laughs> like that is uh, that's wild, man. And uh, and then we'll see what happens with Michigan, and we'll see if Jim Harbaugh ends up jumping to the NFL after this year. And then heck, if that happens, Michigan might be in a bit of bit of some some trouble depending on who they would go after after that so very interesting college football season almost almost to the end yeah so kind of like um it's been it's been interesting you know this this last year of the 14 playoff has been kind of a mirror image of the first year of the 14 playoff we're even getting a pac-12 big 10 matchup again in the national championship and if it is a mirror image then the pac-12 is going to take it out this year 
take it out. Take it out. They're going to win. They're going to win. That's why the, the Pac-12 will win this time. That's if it is a mirror image. That's that's what that would. Who won the first time? Mean. Ohio State won the first time. It's Ohio State so versus mirror, Oregon. Well, so a mirror image would be then that Michigan wins. Well, a mirror. It's like a mirror is is different. It's like opposite. You're, yeah, I, I know what you mean. But oh, oh, I see, okay. I see where you're getting at. Okay. All right. Well, well, that'll do it. All right, guys. Well, um, we'll be back at some point. Who knows? We'll see what else comes out with the transfer portal and all that fun stuff. I think. Um, yeah, no, I know. I think we'll be back talking about some stuff. It looks like um, I think I think leading into the first SEC year, there's probably going to be a lot more offseason stuff for us to talk about. Um, there's just there's just there's been so much movement. There's been so much roster turnover in the SEC already. Um, so it's a lot easier to follow. And uh, also, I wouldn't wouldn't mind, you know, hopping on here every now and then talk about the basketball team, which when they're good, it's fun. So had a good win last night against Iowa State. Um, you win by nine points against a team that's 11 and two and has a top three defense in college football. That's football, college basketball. It's a really good win. And those are wins that they weren't pulling out in the first two years of Porter Moser. So I'm excited about that. You and I, we're going to be in Lawrence in uh, next weekend. We're going to try to go to that game. We're going to try to, and for the last time, going to try to see Oklahoma, try to get a, a dub in Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, I know their last one was in like 1994, which I was technically alive for that, but that doesn't necessarily count. Um, this is going to be their last chance, probably I like their last realistic chance, maybe in our lifetimes for them to win in Fog Allen. And we're going to try to be there. So would love to be there in yeah. person. No, no. Yeah, it should be a fun trip. We'll see what happens. And hopefully Oklahoma can pull off the W. That would be you know, something that would make for a really fun trip and a really fun story for the future. All right, everyone. Hopefully you've had a happy new year so far. Hopefully you've enjoyed everything and We will talk to you next time. So until whenever that is, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.